0: Hey, thanks for checking out the podcast. If you'd like to check out A Next Step, learn more about our church, or see what's coming up, visit our website. That's www.wordoflifeag.org. This week, Pastor Tom shared a message called Generation Restoration. Let's dive right in. Well, good morning, Word of Life. Great to be able to come and spend the weekend with you. I hope everyone had a good holiday, a good Thanksgiving And I wanted to start off by expressing some gratitude. Um, It's been on my mind for a while. I want to take the opportunity um, to specifically thank the trustee board. So our trustee board is made up of five people who are voted on by the voting members of the church. It's a volunteer position that they've signed up for, Um, and it's no small task. Um, The trustees are responsible for things like uh, the finances, the churching, the budgeting, and so on, but also uh, the property, uh, the vehicles that we have, and it's not a small task by any means. I mean, this is a large property here. We, of course, have the school side where kids' ministry is happening right now as well as Elizabeth Street, Um, the landscaping that's involved with all this, figuring out snow plowing, Um, There's a playground, there's boilers, there's vans. Um, A lot of times they're here on Saturdays, sacrificing time as well as in the evening. Um, And they've been called upon a lot in the last few years. So I wanted to give recognition to um, Kevin, Dennis, Rob, Sarah, and Adam. Uh, And as a church body, can we please um, show some appreciation um, for these wonderful people? So... And I know when uh, we approached Sarah and Adam about joining, we said it was real easy. Don't worry about it. And they did it. And uh, hopefully they don't regret that. But thank you so much. I really do appreciate it. Uh, yesterday in Baldwinsville, we had the Christmas tree lighting. I know a number of you are there. I was able to cross paths with a number of you and got to say hello it 's great to see some of you there and hopefully you also got to see that we had a tent out I believe it's the third year running uh, we 've had a tent out giving out free co- cocoa and this year, uh, Kyle Caval and an outreach um, small group was able to go ahead and spearhead that and uh, it went really well i 've got a couple of pictures to show you so there's some of the team there are a few others that aren 't in the picture that were there, but we had a tent out there giving out free hot cocoa, and everyone that got a free hot cocoa also was invited to Carol's and Cocoa coming Friday, and we got another picture of them in action. Uh, There we go, serving out a whole bunch of cocoa, so a Hundreds of carol and cocoa invites went out. I got the estimate by 450 um, Cups of hot cocoa went out. So uh, that's a real busy gang So I'm real pleased about how that group is going I know that Kyle and the team have got a number of other outreach things that are on their minds and they're gonna start hatching some plans for the new year So if that's something you'd like to be a part of Head to the info desk, head to the website, sign up for the small group, and uh, there'll be a bunch of great stuff you can be a part of, and most importantly, you get to spend some time with Jason Skiff. That's like winning the lottery right there. Good stuff. Anyway, we can clap for Jason. Come on, this guy's the man. <laughs> All right, well, uh, this year, 2023, it marks 20 years since I became a Christian, And I don't mind telling you that it is the best decision I ever made. And I remain convinced that it's the best decision that anyone can ever make. Um, When I was 19 years old, uh, even though I'd grown up in a church home, my family, uh, my parents are both Christians, my dad's in the ministry, for some reason I just didn't have a connection with what was happening. I didn't see how God, what God meant to me. I didn't understand, you know, what it had to do with me. I believed I believed that God was for real. I believed in the Bible. I believed that Jesus died on the cross. I believed it, but there was just no connection. I couldn't even explain to you why. I've tried to figure it out over the years, and I couldn't put two and two together. I couldn't make sense of why I didn't follow God, but I definitely didn't, and I just went with the crowd. I just drifted with the crowd. I got into the party scene and everything that goes along with that, and I got to a point that I believe every believer gets to, and I knew I just needed to turn my life around, My story of starting to follow Jesus, it may have some different specifics to other believers, but there is one commonality that all conversion stories have. For each and every follower of Jesus, there is one thing that we have in common. Each and every follower of Jesus, regardless of age, social standing, political affiliation, background, or criminal record, every single one of us has reached a point where we freely admit I need a savior, I need forgiveness. I need the grace of God, and when we reach that point in our lives, it is truly life-changing. When we meet Jesus, we experience His promise of of freedom and forgiveness. We become the new creation that Paul writes about. We embrace a new set of values and priorities. We embrace a new way of understanding the world around us and a new set of ethics and principles. We start to share God's heart and love for people. We're invited to take our place in an eternal kingdom, in a healed and restored relationship with the Father. And it is the greatest joy and privilege a person can experience. And it starts with recognizing, I need a Savior. The message of Jesus is a message that the world desperately needs. What stands in the way of people responding to the message of Jesus is often two reasons. Firstly, either they don't believe that Jesus is the answer or they don't believe that they desperately need a Savior. And all this reminded me of this verse this week from 1 Corinthians. The message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction, but we who are being saved know it is the very power of God. Throughout the earthly ministry of Jesus, and even into the book of Acts and beyond, the people who recognize how desperate they are, and those people who are humble enough to admit that they need a Savior... Those people have their lives transformed when they respond to the message of Jesus. The world today needs this message as much as any other time in human history. As long as there are hurting, worn out, broken people, the message of Jesus will always be relevant. Very often, Jesus found himself at odds with the religious leaders of his day and would very often have debates and confrontations with them, and this is just after one of those moments. At that time, this is after Jesus has been debating with religious leaders, Jesus prayed this prayer, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, thank you for hiding these things from those who think themselves wise and clever and for revealing them to the childlike. To those who think themselves wise and clever, those are the people who are missing it. The people who have got all the reasons in the world to boast about how amazing they are and how godly they are and how righteous they are, those are the people that are missing it. The people who are prideful and the people who everyone else thought were the holiest and the most religious, Jesus tells us that those are the people who are pushing him away and rejecting what God was doing for humanity. The people who have a true humility, the kind of humility that shows itself in a way that Jesus describes as childlike, those people are having their lives changed. I assume to be childlike means to be uncomplicated. It means to be full of wonder and amazement to have joy and excitement instead of scrutiny and to be agenda-driven and argumentative. Instead of feeling the need to be an expert, they receive the message with gratitude, joy, and relief. This passage goes on into verse 26. Jesus still praying, Yes, Father, it pleased you to do it this way. My Father has entrusted everything to me. No one truly knows the Son except the Father, and no one truly knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. And this is what God God wanted. Father, it pleased you to do it this way. No one truly knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. This, of course, prompts the question, who is Jesus revealing the Father to? Who are the people who are receiving the invitation and grace that Jesus is talking about? The people who grasped the message of Jesus wasn't the qualified and the admired, but the people who knew they needed help. It was the people who recognized that life isn't how it's supposed to be, those who are hurting and don't know how to feel better, or those who have everything they could ever want but still know that something is missing, or those who are lost and broken and desperately want to feel found and fixed. And in that environment, Jesus continues in verse 28, then Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. In the past year or so, this passage has become deeply important to me. I would estimate that in 2023, there hasn't been another portion of the Bible that I have read in church more often than this one, and there's five weeks left of the year, so you might hear it five more times. But this passage has captivated me because I believe and trust that this invitation is still being made to people today. This invitation is being extended and given to our generation in the same way that Jesus has made this invitation to people for 2,000 years. I believe that our generation needs to hear this. I believe that young people need to hear this. But the message of Jesus doesn't make sense if we're not ready to admit that we're tired, worn out, unfulfilled, lost, afraid, or hurting. The message of Jesus is life-changing. We read earlier as Paul wrote to the Corinthians that it is the power of God to people who are humble enough to admit they need a Savior. For people who freely admit, I need rest for my soul, the message of Jesus is the greatest news we could ever dream of. But for those who are not ready or willing to admit that, it's forgettable, irrelevant, and easily dismissed, the people who don't recognize that they need a savior, the people who think that they can figure it all out, the people who are trusting in their own wisdom and spirituality, those who believe the answer to life's biggest hurts is to feed oneself and indulge oneself, those people are missing it, but those who freely admit, I need to be found, I need help, I need forgiveness, I need a shepherd, I need a savior, those people are finding rest for their souls. The people who approach Jesus with a faith described as childlike, both in our passage in Matthew 11 and also elsewhere in the teaching of Jesus, that kind of faith helps us find the rest we desperately need. I was thinking about the childlike response that Jesus spoke about, and not surprisingly, I started thinking about Christmas. Black Friday in our house marks the beginning of Christmas, and the tree goes up, and we do the decorations around the house, and we have a tradition of going out to the store, and all the kids pick an ornament, and we start watching Christmas movies. And on Christmas morning, my kids will open their gifts, and right now the twins are 10 and Elijah's 12, so I would expect a level of excitement as they're opening their gifts. When they were younger, it was, of course, even more excitable than it is now. Back then, there was plenty of screaming and running around the room and jumping up and down and yelling, thank you, thank you, thank you. When you're a kid, you kind of expect that kind of response. I'll even say you hope for that kind of response. But if that's how Megan reacted, and if you know Megan... Jumping around the room bursting with excitement is difficult to imagine, to say the least. But if any grown-up reacted like that, we would say they're acting like a kid. That doesn't mean we're being unkind, but that is how we would describe it. We would say they screamed like a kid. They jumped up and down like a kid. Typically, as a grown-up, at Christmas, you respectfully thank whoever gave you the gift and express appreciation. And Jesus points to the kids and said, that's the appropriate response to the gospel. Another time in Luke 18, then Jesus called for the children and said to the disciples, let the children come to me, don't stop them. For the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children. I tell you the truth, anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. Receiving the kingdom of God like a child in a way that's uncomplicated, in a way that's full of wonder and amazement where there's joy and excitement, instead of scrutiny and being agenda-driven and even argumentative, Instead of feeling the need to be an expert, it's received and receiving the message of Jesus with gratitude and joy and even relief. Another time Jesus said, God blesses those who are poor in spirit and realize their need for Him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. It all builds a picture of the humility that is present when someone receives the message of Jesus and they're ready and overjoyed to have a Savior. I really do think that I've spoken on this passage from Matthew 11 more than any other passage from the Bible this year, but I did realize something that I'd never noticed until this week. This passage from Matthew 11, this passage is also a comment on the authority of Jesus. During the earthly ministry of Jesus, there were constant questions about how he could teach and make such claims about himself, about his ability to forgive, and how he has an equal standing with God. There were constant questions about where he was getting such authority. Now, if you can imagine, if I was driving along and someone was driving terribly, it still happens, but not as much as when we lived in New Jersey. But we're driving along, and I just took it upon myself to pull over, get the person to pull over, and I got out, and I said, okay, you were driving terribly, you've got a $500 fine. The person would say, who are you? The authority of Word of Life Church does not give me the ability to hand out $500 fines. If I turned up at a university and said, I'm here to teach a course on quantum physics, Who are you? If I go to the State Fair the week before it opens, and I find the guy setting up the Ferris wheel, and I wait right until they've almost finished, and then I tell them that they need to move their Ferris wheel 10 feet to the left, the first question is, who are you? And as soon as they figure out I have no connection to the fair at all, I'm not in management, I have more chance ending up in the emergency room than I do in getting them to move the Ferris wheel. If my next-door neighbor knocked on my door this afternoon and said, Tom, if you're weary and carrying too much, then I will give you rest for your soul. I have no idea how I would react, but I definitely wouldn't believe them because my next-door neighbors can't give me rest for my soul. They're nice people, but they cannot give me rest for my soul. But Jesus said, I will give you rest. And people believed him and took him seriously. And for 2,000 years, people have been finding out that he's telling the truth. In Jesus, we can find rest for our souls, a rest we desperately need. This is a comment on his authority to make such an invitation. It's also an insight into his heart for humanity that he makes such an invitation. The invitation isn't narrow and exclusive, but it's an invitation given far and wide. Then Jesus said, come to me, all of you. This is an open invitation. It's not reserved for a certain kind of person. It's not loaded with pre-qualifications. And this is a consistent teaching about the inclusive nature of the gospel. From Second Peter, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand it's Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. The Lord doesn't want any to perish and spend eternity separated from him but rather that people would find hope in repentance, find the joy of leaving the past behind and start living with a restored relationship with God. Hell is horrible to think about. The total separation from God and His goodness for an eternity, I hate thinking about it. And it's His desire that we reject the old life of sin and embrace the new life He has made possible, both here and now and into eternity. This idea is also found in 1 John 1 John 1 verse 8, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. All unrighteousness. All, truly all-encompassing. Anything that you or I could imagine that would disqualify imperfect people from a perfectly holy God, All of it is purified and forgiven because of the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. Jesus invites anyone who is disqualified for any reason, and they are given the hope of repentance, the promise of being forgiven, and the opportunity to find rest for their souls. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, is what we just read. And if we claim to be without sin, then we don't need a Savior. We don't need forgiveness. We don't need to change. We don't need to humbly admit our shortcomings, but we're deceiving ourselves. Pride is causing us to deceive ourselves. And consequently, we miss the chance to repent, the chance to leave behind all the destructive things in our lives. We push away the grace and forgiveness that we desperately need. We ignore the invitation to find rest for our souls. The important hurdle to get over, the biggest obstacle, is admitting we're wrong. No one likes to be wrong. No one likes to admit they're wrong. No one likes everyone knowing their mistakes or for their shortcomings to be on public display. And pride will cause us to insulate ourselves from feeling humiliated. And pride will also cause us to deny and refuse to admit that we're wrong. Sadly, this mindset closes us off to the invitation from Jesus. From the book of James, the scriptures say God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves before God. One way to think about it is humility opens the door to grace, but pride slams it shut. Humility opens the door to grace, but pride slams it shut. The core of pride and the reason it's a problem is that it mentally and emotionally pushes God away and says, I don't need you. It's pride that brings a casual attitude before God. It's pride that fools us into thinking that we'll be happier, more content, more fulfilled, and more successful. if we've pushed God to one side and move on without Him. In Jesus' day, we see a huge amount of religious pride. People who thought that they had earned God's favor or blessing, that they had been so obedient that God owed them. They acted as if God was indebted to them, but to those with a childlike faith. Then you're ready to hear Jesus' invitation. Come to me, all of you, who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. Now, this passage, it makes three assumptions. You can see these three assumptions as Jesus is talking. The first is that people are tired for good reasons. You can also assume that they're carrying too much for too long. And thirdly, that we're listening to proud and angry people. And isn't that what you see every day? As you go about your daily life, as you go into work, as you spend time with your family, as you converse with neighbors, as you spend time with other parents, as the kids are playing softball, don't you see people who are tired and worn out? Don't you meet people who are exhausted from stress and pressure? Don't you meet people who are just weighed down by life, people who are carrying impossible burdens and responsibilities? Aren't the loudest voices and the voices people listen to most, aren't they proud and angry? I believe this passage speaks directly to 21st century American culture. I believe this is a message of hope and promise that we all need to cling on to. That our neighbors, our co workers, the high school students, college kids, young professionals, young parents, empty nesters, retirees, and anyone else you can think of, we need to hear and believe this message. On this whole idea of being tired and carrying too much, you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, the heavy burdens is the weight of whatever it is that you're carrying, whatever responsibilities that you're shouldering, whatever it is that you have, whatever struggles or difficulties, whatever load you're carrying, that's a burden. And weary, weary is directly connected to time. You don't become weary after a difficult moment or a bad weekend. There are other ways to describe a terrible moment or a difficult few days, but weariness comes from time. To be weary means you're exhausted because you've been carrying a heavy weight for a long time. This is a call. This is an invitation to people who have been carrying too much for too long. People who are working tirelessly, but it feels like we're not achieving anything. People who feel like they're shouldering their responsibility as best they can, and still they feel like they're drowning. People who wake up and know that today is going to be a tough day, and they get up and do it anyway. The pressure of day-to-day life might be exhausting. The responsibilities you carry might be breaking your back, and Jesus comes to show a different way. And Jesus offers himself as three alternatives. To the people who are tired, carrying too much, being influenced by proud and angry people, Jesus offers himself as the alternative. He stands in contrast to what we're experiencing to the day. To the tired, he promises rest. The religious demands of the first century Jewish people are an obvious comparison in this passage. But this clearly isn't the only kind of weariness that Jesus is appealing to. Everything and anything that weighs us down in contrast to life weighing us down, Jesus promises rest. So those carrying too much, He offers partnership. He offers the chance to take on His yoke, and the yoke means partnership. Now, I am not a farmer. I am certainly not a farmer from the first century. But a harness is what you would attach to an animal, oftentimes an ox. And the harness would also be connected to something heavy that was being pulled, and oftentimes it was a plow to help sort of furrow the land. But a yoke was kind of like a harness, but it was a specific type of harness that was used to partner and pair two animals together. So you could essentially say a double harness. And the yoke meant that you could have the effort of two animals pulling the plow or whatever else. And it's easy to imagine how that would be more efficient and would help the farmer achieve more than just one animal. But here, Jesus is asking us to take His yoke upon us. He's asking us to put a yoke on ourselves and be partnered with Him. And he's telling us that his yoke is easy. This is an invitation into a partnership with Jesus. This is an invitation to have my life lockstep with Jesus, to metaphorically be harnessed together, to be moving together, to working together. It's a partnership. Instead of trying my best to figure this all out, I get to do it with Jesus. He graciously gives this invitation. It's amazing. And what I keep reminding myself is I bring nothing to this partnership. But he doesn't need my strength or skill or gifting or wisdom. But I am very aware that I need his. And thirdly, to those who are sick of the most influential and loudest voices being angry and prideful, he tells us that his teaching is humble and gentle. And we can listen to him instead. This is an opportunity to make an exchange. To those who are tired, in Jesus we can accept his invitation to find rest. If you're carrying too much, Jesus offers himself as a partner to walk through life with us, shouldering the load with us. To those who are listening to proud and angry people, Jesus says, stop listening to those voices and listen to me. I'm different. I'm not proud or angry. I'm humble and gentle. Jesus gives us three things. And we can choose to accept or reject. The solution to being weary is found in accepting these three things. Jesus' invitation, come to me. Jesus' partnership, take my yoke upon you. And Jesus' teaching, let me teach you because I'm humble and gentle at heart. (laughs) When I think of why I should listen to Jesus' teaching, my head instantly goes to because he's the King of kings and Lord of lords. He's the only Son of God, the Savior of the world. We should definitely listen to his teaching. But interestingly... In this passage, he says we should listen to him because he's humble and gentle at heart. He's humble and gentle. He puts himself in contrast with the common voices that we would listen to throughout the day, the voices that are proud and angry. This is something we can definitely understand. If all the proud and angry people were kicked off social media or news outlets, the internet would suddenly be very quiet. If every proud and angry politician was fired tomorrow, D.C. would be a very quiet place. If every proud and angry celebrity would keep their opinions to themselves, award shows would be a lot shorter. But Jesus' teaching has always stood in defiance of what the world says. Jesus' teaching has always been contrary to pride and anger. The words of Jesus, His values, His wisdom, His promises, it cuts through selfishness and toxicity. Maybe for our own well-being, it's worth spending less time listening to news outlets or social media influencers or celebrities or politicians that are typically driven by pride and anger. And instead, we take Jesus seriously. Let me teach you. Let me be the loudest voice in your life. Let my words be the most important words you hear because I am humble and gentle at heart. The pride and anger isn't working. It isn't promoting peace and joy. It's time to find rest. It's time to listen to the teaching of Jesus. And the promise is, I will give you rest. You will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. Over the scope of the whole Bible, we see that the promise is not that life with Jesus will be nothing but bliss and good times. In other parts of the Bible, Jesus taught we need to take up our cross and that we're blessed for suffering for our faith. And Jesus assures us in another passage that trials and hardships will come. But here, we're given an invitation that we don't deserve. We're offered a partnership that we contribute nothing to. And we're taught a better way because we can't figure it out for ourselves. The solution... To being weary is found in accepting three things. Jesus' invitation, Jesus' partnership, and Jesus' teaching. Now verse once again. Then Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. It's uh, past February. A movie came out, Jesus Revolution. I've spoken about it many times. Um, I love this movie. I appreciate the message of the movie a ton. Um, I'm a film fan anyway, and so just that medium of telling a story is something that I really, gen- you know, sort of gravitate towards. And so this, um, I had a chance to read the book, Jesus Revolution, the summer before, and the chance to see it on a big screen was deeply moving. Um, Especially the scenes of hundreds of kids getting baptized on the beach. It's a deeply moving movie. Um, And as you read this book or if you watch the film, it's easy to see the parallels between 21st century America and what life was like 50 years ago. Um, You know, division between one generation and the next. The conservative people kind of all kind of ruffled because, you know, kids today and all that kind of stuff. And I read something in the book this week. Um, I kind of dove back in and sort of wanted to know what it had to say about something. And I came across this passage that I'd love to share with you. The book is written by Greg Laurie, um, and Greg Laurie was uh, part of the church that was pastored by a man called Chuck Smith. And this is describing a conversation between the two of them. Years before Chuck Smith died, Greg Laurie asked him if he thought there could be another Jesus revolution. I don't know," said Chuck. Back in the 60s, people were desperate. Unsafe people were spiritually hungry. They were searching for God. I was desperate too. Desperate to be a part of what God was doing. So I guess the question for today is, are we desperate enough? The question for today is, are we desperate enough? Many Christians today yearn for revival. Whether in big events like the National Day of Prayer or small prayer meetings in rural chapels, inner cities, college campuses, or suburban fellowship groups, believers are pleading with God to revive His church and send spiritual awakening to our land. Seminary students and lay people are reflecting on those unusual times when God's Spirit did wild things in America's history. Chaos and desperation are far more more likely to lead to revival than comfort and complacency. God grants revival. He grants it to those who are humble enough to know they need it. Those who have a certain desperate hunger for Him. Only out of self despair, a helpless understanding of the reality of sin, and one's absolute inability to cure it, does anyone ever turn wholeheartedly to God. That desperation is sometimes hard to come by in America because it is the opposite of self sufficiency. In the US, many of us live under the illusion that our needs are already met, that maybe God is an add-on to our already comfortable existence. The Jesus movement awakened many, many dead souls. These new converts were on fire. Their long hair was standing on end. They preached on the streets. They hitchhiked solely for the purpose of sharing the gospel with people who picked them up. They lived together very simply they started storefront missions. They fed hungry hippies. They believed that the Bible was true, that Jesus was the savior of the world he loved and that he was coming again very soon. They depended on the power of the Holy Spirit and their numbers multiplied. Most of them had at least one thing in common. They were desperate. They sought peace, love, and community in the utopian visions of the day. They thought that drugs would bring spiritual enlightenment or that sex would bring love or that music would bring community or that all those things would bring freedom. They had been disappointed by the counterfeits and were hungry for what was real. It was no casual thing when they discovered in Jesus the reality they'd been looking for. Jesus, he makes a distinction between those who are prideful and unwilling or unable to admit that they need a savior whether because of pride or disbelief. Or we could have a faith similar to a child, a faith that trusts and inspires gratitude and joy. When a humble person knows they need a Savior, the message of Jesus is the greatest news they will ever hear. And when Jesus invites us to come to him and find rest for our souls, we find out that he is able to keep his promise. The passage we read in Matthew 11, There are three assumptions built into it. That there are people who are tired for good reasons. That they've been carrying too much for too long. And that we're listening to proud and angry people. He gives an opportunity to make an exchange. To go from being tired and worn out and weary to finding rest to go from going through life carrying too much to finding partnership with Jesus where you're lockstep with Him, where you're walking together with Him, where He is offering partnership that you and I contribute nothing to. We're also sad that we can go from listening to the proud and angry voices in our lives and instead we can listen to His teaching which is humble and gentle. The solution to being weary is found in accepting three things. Jesus' invitation come to me Jesus partnership take my yoke upon you and Jesus teaching let me teach you because I'm humble and gentle at heart I have a, a couple of questions for you hopefully you have a chance this week to think through some of these things and pray through some of them perhaps even talk them over with someone but the first question I put to you is where can you see pride in your life where is pride pushing God away I hope that we're not quick to say no no pride anyway Nope, no pride Take a moment, reflect, think, pray. Where can I see pride in my life? And the second question I put to you is would you you describe your faith as childlike? Would you describe your faith as childlike? Would you describe your faith as sophisticated, educated, figured out? I don't know. But would you describe your faith as childlike? Would you stand with me? I'm going to read this verse one more time today. Hoping that it hits home for each and every one of us. Matthew 11:28. 28. Then Jesus said, come to me, all of you, all of you, who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. Lord, please take something from today. Lord, the scriptures that have been read, the thinking through exactly what it is that you said to those people 2,000 years ago and how that promise and that invitation is still just as relevant for us today. Lord, please, can we take something from this? Can our hearts be transformed? Can our minds be changed? Can our love for you grow? our appreciation for you grow. Lord, may there be a, a true heart of humility just running throughout this church. Lord, may we be a humble church, a church that is, is, is confident in our humility. It's not about us, it's about you. We've come to the point where we have freely admitted we cannot do this without you. And we have found that you're ready to pick us up, clean us up, and set us free. Lord, it is a joy and a privilege to follow you. I pray that there will be people here today that would start to feel that rest for their soul that you promised. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's spend some time together in worship. Amen.